Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. This is episode number three of the Houndsman XP podcast. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, the uh, couple issues that have already been out. And if you're listening to these in order, then uh, we've had podcast zero out, which was kind of an introduction phase, and then podcast one, and this is podcast two. So it's kind of confusing. I'm saying it's three, but it's really called two, episode two. Uh, the theme for this podcast is uh, really about what you as a houndsman can do in your area to get involved. We're going to talk to a Montana houndsman today, somebody that's been very involved with uh, issues out there. We're going to talk about some legislation that just passed in Montana that's going to affect houndsmen all over the United States. Uh, it's also going to affect houndsmen in Montana. So, I'm not going to give that away, but but stay tuned, and you're going to hear some hunting tales about Montana, but you're also going to hear about a great hound organization in Montana that's working for hunters' rights, not only to Mon- for Montana residents, but also for all of us who want to load up our hounds and head to the big sky country to chase some of their mountain lions and bobcats around. So stay tuned for that. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button, either in the iTunes store or Google Play or wherever you're listening to this podcast from. If you're listening to it from a mobile device, then hit the subscribe button. The number of downloads is what drives podcasts. So the way you can support us best right now, if you're enjoying this show and you want to continue to hear it, then make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. You can also find us on the social networks, social media networks of Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook page is Houndsman XP Podcast, and Instagram is Houndsman underscore XP underscore podcast. Make sure you send us that invite on Facebook. We'll have to approve you to join the group. We're trying to keep the... uh, trolls and the anti-hunting crowd out there but if you're a houndsman we will look at your profile and we will definitely approve you make sure you're telling your fellow houndsmen in your area about it Uh, for more of you tech savvy houndsmen out there make sure you show people how to find it and how to subscribe to the podcast as well and if you've got other friends who 
may tag along, but they're not diehard houndsmen. I listen to a lot of podcasts on things that uh, I don't hunt at all, but I enjoy hunting and listening to people talk about hunting. So make sure you're tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Houndsman XP. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Powell, and today we have uh, my co-host with me, Steve Fielder, and we're very honored to have Ross Feenstra with the Montana State Houndsman Association with us. How are you doing today, Ross? I'm doing great. How are you, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. Steve, uh, how's your weather down there in Florida today? We'll, well talk about we're, weather here for a minute or two. <laughs> when all else fails, talk about the weather. By the way, hi, Ross. It's good to talk to you finally. I've heard a lot about you through Chris and looking forward to uh, our uh, conversation today. Well, they say we've got some severe weather coming in off the Gulf. Uh, there may be some, uh, some high winds and thunderstorms and all that fun stuff. But when you live on this Florida peninsula down here, you expect a lot of that. So we'll be fine. Uh, hopefully no we'll doubt. get our conversation in today before we we uh, have to batten down the hatches. Yeah, I had four inches of fresh Ross snow Monday morning. So <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wanting to talk about right there. You know, you guys, you're coming at us from Bozeman, Montana. Is that correct, Ross? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been... Uh, been a real tough winter here and just winter will not let go of us for some reason i mean i've never never seen this much snow in the mountains so i was wading through some of that snow in the mountains there a month and a half ago or <laughs> a little over yeah about a month and a half ago and it was it was pretty brutal for an indiana guy i can tell you that yeah well i lived in michigan for 22 years just uh east of lake michigan about 30 miles and we used to get that lake effect snow <laughs> and the cabin fever would set in and i just had to get out with the hounds and find myself out there trying to wait mostly in the fence rows where the problem was where the snow would drift up and i'd try to wade through that stuff <laughs> but uh I, that's why i live in florida ross <laughs> yeah oh i love it i could finally start coon hunting tonight hopefully uh it's supposed to be 71 degrees here today so mm. uh but then it's supposed to be 45 degrees on saturday so it's kind of our weather around here but hopefully i'll get out get some coon hunting in tonight well so uh, you, you do a lot of yeah so i i don't think people realize how we were talking about this the other day ross but uh you have a pretty substantial coon population out there around bozeman right uh, yeah you know that, this isn't that right yeah yeah this whole bozeman area um you know over to helena where you know, uh, there's a lot of guys in Montana that are, are pretty serious coon hunters, a lot more serious than I am. Um, but I, I do do quite a bit of coon hunting in the summer. That's what's what your kind of, uh, what's your main game out there? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the guy that taught me how to how to hound hunt and how to be houndsmen, really. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he was known for chasing out lions and and catch them out lions in some real tough spot. Uh, well, I, I hunt a lot of lions in some bighorn sheep areas, which are just 
real rocky and uh, not a lot of people go, you know, hike. Not a lot of people want to hike one a mile to go try to find a lion track. So, but I do hunt some cats in a, in that areas. So a lot of your hunting is uh, you're kind of hunting like eastern bear hunters. Then uh, you're leashing up dogs and then walking walking in for tracks into some of that rugged country. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, I do. I would say 90% of my hunting is either off a snowmobile or off a foot. We don't have a lot of roads that a guy can drive and check with it with a truck. So it's it's mostly load your dogs in a dog sled trailer and uh, and pull them pull them behind. Especially on my bobcat hunting. What percentage of the time do you spend uh, bobcat hunting versus lion hunting, Ross? Well, I'm an opportunist, so uh, there's there's not one day (laughs) there's not one day that I'm in the woods that if I find a bobcat track before I find a lion track that uh, I love I love chasing bobcats. Our season is open um, until April 14th to chase bobcats, but we can only take bobcats usually for the first part of December into into December. We have a 250 quota on on bobcats in Region Three here. So, uh, are you in Central Montana, Eastern Montana? What 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 yeah, area? So it is kind of South Central is the best way to mm-hmm. uh, best way to describe it. I'm about about 90 miles from West Yellowstone, from the entrance to West Yellowstone. Okay. Well, when I went with Dean Carroll up in Sunlight Basin, up up above uh, Cody, Wyoming. Yeah. And uh, how far is that from from where you are? You know, Cody. Uh, I have two really good friends that live in Cody. Um, it's not. It's only about two and a half hours uh, to Cody okay. from where I'm at. Uh, my one good buddy moved there. He's the large carnivore biologist for the state of Wyoming. So his his main job is to trap grizzly bears. And then okay. um, also he does, he runs hounds and he, you know, he, he does a lot of lion studies. We did one over in the Black Hills one year. Um, and then he does one in the Red Desert there in Wyoming as well. So... Well, so what what size foothold trap is he using to trap grizzly bears? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's funny. It's actually a power snare. Uh, it's a he runs a power. Oh no, snare. kidding! Yeah, it's wild. He's a he's got some of the craziest stories ever. So when I was out well, there yeah, the last last time, yeah. I'm interrupting you, Chris. I apologize, but when I was out there with Dean Carroll, we went up to this uh, 7D ranch at, at Sunlight Basin, and his son Dalen was going to guide some sheep hunters out of that ranch that fall. And uh, so I took the opportunity. Fly fishing is another passion of mine, and I took the opportunity to fly fishing. As I'm a lot, uh, they told us, you know, that uh, they had just trapped a grizzly from that dude ranch the day before and moved it, and uh, to be kind of wary. And I'm out there with a 
uh, a four weight <laughs> fly rod waving it around in the air, uh, th- uh, peeping over my shoulder at every every turn, as, and knowing that if if I meet Mister Grizzly as Montague Stevens did, uh, I'm going to be in big trouble. And uh, so it, it that was my only experience with uh, with grizzly bears. I took pictures of tracks along the way and uh, but i think we were about maybe 10 miles east of the western border of yellowstone there if i'm oh, correct yeah. yeah you were um i'm sure it's it's filthy grizzly country these days in there so yeah really no doubt that yeah you're just like a walking hors d'oeuvre uh it's it's wild in there those guys can't even go elk hunting really uh during the rut you're gonna call in a grizzly before you call in an elk yeah wow, wow. yeah that's that's a kind of a, a different situation i've <laughs> done a lot of eastern bear hunting and some bobcat hunting and and limited wild boar hunting but i'm not really used to being the prey you know i yeah. kind of like to be on the other exactly. side of that equation yeah those grizzly bears are exactly there's something else right how about wolves? So, do Ross, you have? Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask Ross real quick. Go about, right ahead. About yep. the wolf situation, or, uh, is that a a real threat to your hunting where you are? Yeah, the wolf situation. Um, they're always there. To be honest with you, Steve. Um, if if I didn't turn loose because of wolf tracks, I'd never get to turn loose. My dogs. Um, it's always a possibility, and the guy. The guy that taught me everything that I know, he would always tell me, you know, as soon as you unsnap that leash, you got to always expect that you might not ever see that dog again, no matter what the situation. But right. last year we were taking as a, or two years ago, as as the Montana Houndsman Association, we took two uh, Purple Heart veterans that were 100% medically retired. And uh, we took them on two donated mountain lion hunts and we hunt a ranch there that's next to Gardner, Montana. And it's, there's a lot of wolves because there's a buffer zone. The, the anti's got a buffer zone two miles outside the parks. So that's where all them wolves live. Uh, and we turned the dogs loose and they went up, uh, went up this creek pushing this lion track pretty good. And we pulled up on the road and all we heard was wolves. Um, we ran down in there. There was wolves chasing dogs, running through the timber. Uh, and wow. we got one dog. Uh, one dog killed. They had it. Um, they had it half eaten. I mean, in minutes. Uh, so it. Wow. It's a tough situation. Um, I. I do believe that the only reason that that happened is because that lion went to go check they had a big six point bull killed um like a 340 bull there the wolves did so i think that lion had just gone yeah i think the lion had just kind of gone up through there and those wolves are just real territorial but um it does happen it happens every year here in montana that somebody gets dogs killed i'm hearing that across the midwest to michigan wisconsin anywhere in the north northern tier of the country here 
where guys are running hounds. It's it's becoming more of a problem. Yeah. Something I never personally encountered in my bear hunting days, but uh, yeah, that's that's interesting for sure. Well, that's a that's a good lead into uh, what we're really going to talk about today, and that's uh, the Montana State Houndsman Association, Ross, um, and your involvement with the organization. Um, in my mind, hounds hound sports are not going to survive without without strong state organizations, and and uh, just kind of give us give us an idea of of what you're doing with the, the organization and also what your purpose is. Uh, I really liked what I heard with the Purple Heart veterans that, that you took on that lion hunt. So just take take a few minutes there and, and introduce us to the Montana State Houndsman Association. Yes, yeah, so the Montana State Houndsman Association was started, I think, 30-plus um, years ago. Um, I started going to their field trials um, 10 years ago now, and I went to one field trial and I'm just, uh, I guess the type of person that I am, if there's work to be done or if it looks like I can contribute in any way, I just really throw myself into that situation. And through our, through our field trial, I was just really doing that. And, you know, by golly, I went to the next, uh, <laughs> went to the next field trial and they asked me, they said, Hey, we want you to be president of the Houndsman Association. And I had, <laughs> I had my wife isn't there. It, isn't and, it funny how that works? <laughs> yeah. And then I, I had my wife there and she goes, what, I, what are you signing yourself up to do here? And then um, <laughs> exactly, it kind of all just snowballed from there. I really started to, um, you know, uh, we built a new website, uh, really started to advertise what we were trying to do uh, to involve involve young people, the generation. It's a big family events that we have. Um, uh, Ross, just, let me interrupt. What's the uh, the address, web address for that website? Uh, it is www.montanahoundsman.com. Okay, good. I, I am fairly certain, Steve. Uh, but if you type in Montana State Houndsman, uh, yeah, I can. It is montanahoundsman.com. Okay. I want our listeners to know that so they can check in with you. And we yeah. can include we can include that contact information in the show notes. And sure. so, really, what we um, we're really just trying to to educate people and to, and to raise money, you know, it's, it costs money to fight legislation and it, um, and we really, I really, really enjoy putting, putting on our field trials. This, I have an upcoming event. It'll be our largest event, uh, May 4th and 5th in Lolo, Montana. Uh, last year I had 198 dogs there, over 200 people. Uh, I cook a, a I roast a whole hog. Uh, we do. My drags are a lot different than than most people's drags. A lot of uh, a, a lot of field trials that aren't a night hunt. You know, people do real small drags. But I do a I do a thousand dollar bear blowout. The first dog to get to the tree gets a thousand bucks. I hike that drag personally, and 
I make it about seven miles through the woods. Um, so we do tree and competitions and there's so many kids running around. I do a kid's bench show, re really trying to just get new people. And it's been, it's been so re rewarding, uh, to see people that don't even have hound dogs that they come to my, come to our field trials and they, they just want to come see what, what it's all about. So. Yeah, the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance uh, used to run different things. We call them an out or a sportsman's expo or an outdoorsman expo. And our goal was to bring in all kinds of people and raise that public awareness for the public. Because if you if you build good relationships before you need friends, then you're going to be more effective in our in helping with issues and things like that. Yeah, for sure. We do do two. I do do one UKC field trial. Uh, I do a UKC bench show, and then I do UKC drags and a U and a UKC water race as well. So, but when are those held, Ross? You know, those are. I have one that's held in June, um, and and it's honestly kind of sad to be honest with you, Steve. Um, UKC is really. Uh, it used to be so big in Montana and I know it's, I know it's so big out, out East, but it's just, I mean, I, I was telling, trying to advertise it as much as I possibly can. And I'm setting up a for, for four UKC dogs. Yeah. So, well, is that because there's a shift away from the registered dog out there? Or do I, most of the hounds people still have registered dogs? I think there's a large shift in the in in the especially in the big game world. I know not in the coon world, but I think there's a large shift in the big game world and out here in the West that guys don't have registered dogs. I don't own one registered dog. I see. Well, yeah, that's a, a subject, I guess, for another day about your breeding program or, or maybe later in this conversation. But we want to learn more about your association and what what you're doing on the legislative front. But it would seem to me that for a record standpoint, registration uh, would be important just simply for the breeder to keep track of his line of dogs and, and so forth. But we'll, sure. I'm sure we can get into that later. So has, do the houndsmen in the West, uh, are they interested in all in, at all in the ex-bred opportunity with UKC? You know, getting them registered as, as ex-bred, which is a crossbred? Yeah, and you know, um, I have talked with people about that, and I've even thought about doing that myself because, you know, all of I've had the same line of dogs that come from JD. You know, it's the same line for 30 years now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's kind of a persona around it. I. I out here, some people are diehard UKC guys, and some guys just really, um, they, you know, they're they're big game mountain lion guys. So. The old the old adage, papers don't catch game. Yeah, paper, thing, right? Exactly, papers don't put fur in the tree, type of thing. Right, so. right. Mm -hmm. Understood. And I think that that's interesting because things have pretty much come cir full circle in the hound world out east that I've circulated in mostly, uh, 
I have been, I've bear hunted in New Mexico and Arizona, and I've coon hunted out in Wyoming. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was a time when the gray dog or the non-registered dog was definitely in the majority. And then through the advent of the night hunt, uh, you know, registration became important. And it really snowballed out here. And in, in the late 70s, early 80s was the peak, you know, where there were literally thousands of dogs being registered every year. And then that's, you know, I, I out this way, I think the decline in registrations is more due to extenuating circumstances like loss of hunting territory and, and things like that, more so than a, a disregard for pedigrees. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So um, do, does your average Western hunter also feel that same thing that we're feeling back east on loss of hunting opportunities or places to hunt, Ross? Do you guys experience yeah. any of that? You know, I can't necessarily say that we're um, losing places to hunt. What happens with us is um, we lose a lot of access, I would say. There you every, go. Every year, mm -hmm. it almost seems like there's some road that I can't drive my snowmobile up anymore that I could. I mean, most of the roads around that I hunted all through high school, um, I, I could drive a pickup on them, you know, and now... Now they're closed until June 1st uh, to, to any kind of travel. So in all winter, you know, it's, that's where we run into is it's not that I can't go hike in there, but I can't ride my snowmobile in there to go check for tracks anymore. Are these government lands or private lands? All, nas all national forest. Okay. And, yeah, and the hunters back east are experiencing the same thing. I exactly. know several places in the Appalachians, um, you know, there's several roads there that people that hunt with their grandfathers, their grandfathers could drive in those areas, and now they've got roads blocked to the point where they've even started dropping trees a quarter mile up the old uh, trailhead there to keep keep people from driving up oh. in there. It's it's disgusting what they did up here. They took uh, they they called it reclaiming the roads. So they took a D nine dozer up there, and they would just chip the road out for half a mile, doze it in, so that you know you can't even even if you did people try to get four wheeler around because it's a perfectly good logging road. And now uh -huh. they can't now they can't fight fires up in the mountains because they've reclaimed so many of those roads. Wow. So what's the, the what's the Montana State Houndsman's uh, role in issues like that for you guys, Ross? You know, our role, uh, our role first and foremost is to, you know, fight anything and protect our hound hunting right in the state of Montana, uh, work in conjunction with Fish and Game to help set uh, seasons and harvest quotas and objectives throughout the year. Um, the Montana State Houndsman Association really, I try to be involved in it as much as I can. There's a new group out here called the Outdoor Heritage Coalition. Mm -hmm. uh, what they did is combined the Trappers Association, the Houndsman Association, the um, Montana Sportsman for Wildlife, and then SCI, 
my, my, my good friend is the president of SCI and actually the head of legislation issues. And that's uh, Safari Club International, right, Ross? Yes, yes, okay. sir. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just have such a large uh, presence with people. So really they um, they help out a lot too with, with any type of issues that we're going through. But, um, they're, they're for sportsmen. So. Is Montana a um, right to hunt state? Do you guys have a constitutional amendment for in Montana? We Indiana are, just passed that. Yeah, we are a right to hunt state. Okay. Yeah, That's and good. for people that don't understand what that is, uh, state legislature actually amends the state constitution, or it's written in there originally, where uh, gives people the right to hunt. It guarantees the right, just like uh, Second Amendment rights or anything else that's in the federal constitution, then a state can actually say that people have the right to hunt in this state, and that's that's important for uh, houndsmen and hunters in general. So I just wanted to clarify that. Ross, uh, when I was with the UKC and the PKC and living in Michigan. I worked very closely with the Michigan Bear Hunters Association as a director and also as a director with the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. And while I was there, we faced a ballot issue that would have uh, banned bear hunting with hounds and over bait. Now, what's the baiting situation in Montana? Are you permitted to bait or not? We're not even permitted to chase them. So that is... Uh, <laughs> that, oh, that that's is right. Well, bear. Yeah, that's right. Isn't yeah, it? we can't bait at all either. Um, we did try to push a bill as the Association. Um, I think it was six years ago we tried to push a bill through a bear chase bill and a bear season. Fishing game was against us. Uh, grizzlies were obviously still on the endangered species list, so I think fishing game kind of had a conflict of interest there. But that is one of one of our main goals is to create new laws, create new opportunities for people in the state of Montana. Uh, for as for hound hunting, I, I know uh, I know it kind of sounds like an oxymoron with what just happened with House Bill 311 through our legislature, but uh, that's and that's a great segue into into that issue, Ross. Um, why don't you just talk about House Bill 311 and what's going on in Montana? Yes, yeah, so House Bill 311 was a bill. Uh, drafted and pushed by the Montana Outfitters Association. What it does is Montana used to be a state where they can, um, you know, Chris or Steve could come up here, buy a $320 mountain lion tag and be able to run their dogs. Um, most guys weren't, <clears throat> most guys weren't shooting mountain lions or maybe they right. did. Uh, but that, that is what, drove this bill is we we did have a lot of guys coming out here um there was quite a few guys that got caught for illegally outfitting um you know there's a big article right now going on about those guys from wisconsin the lisiac violation that came out here and they 
they shot a mountain lion uh their buddy tagged it checked it in in a different area and so yeah i think all of those things really drove this bill and what the bill says is that now 35 mount lion 35 non-residents can come out here to chase mountain lions or or kill a or kill harvest a mountain lion but uh as long as you're with an outfitter you can still buy um buy a, an out of non-resident license so it's really a it's really a bill for the outfitters it's not a bill for sportsmen it's not a, vi- a bill for to help hound hunting I, I did fight the bill as as much as I possibly could, and I, I, you know, what what our plan is as the association is we would like to either amend that bill in two years or we would like to create opportunity for non-residents to be able to buy a non-resident chase permit. Um, right. So... And, um- you know, to kind of take us back to to the opportunity there, you, you said that a lot of houndsmen were coming out that weren't even harvesting a lion or killing a lion, and we're not going to be politically correct. I mean, uh, we hunt and we kill things. So, um, but we treed several lions up there just last month and and had no intention of killing a lion. Uh, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when you outfitters are in the business of making money, correct? Yes. They're in business. So I look at that as a privatization of wildlife for, um, you know, these outfitters that, that want to charge. But you also said that you said something else there, Ross, the thing that drove it was what, what do you think was the, the main thing that, that drove this bill? I, I think the main thing that drove this bill and got people on board as for the Senate Fish Wildlife Committee and um, and a lot of the representatives was what has happened in the past in Montana with out-of-staters being convicted of illegally outfitting or out-of-staters being convicted of, you know, quite a few wrongdoings with the whole mountain lion um, hunting. So... Uh, they could prove that the outfitters could prove what was going on and that, you know, uh, people can wrap their head around that. Um, I can't wrap my head around taking away opportunity, especially when it comes to hound hunting, because it really opens the door, uh, for, for people to chip away at our laws, which brings me to, you know, a lot of states are right to hunt states, but people have to be really careful with that because if you read a lot of right to hunt states laws, it says right to hunt big game. So years ago, they tried to declassify the mountain lion as a big game species and they wanted to put it on the predator list. Well, that would have made that would have made us not have a right to run mountain lions with their hound dogs. So that's another thing that I want to try to, I want to try to amend the Montana constitution to say that we have the right to, to pursue uh, big game animals with hound dogs, because it does not say that. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty tall order right there. Um, at least you set your sights high, Ross. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ross, if I can jump in here just a minute. I, you know, it's always sad when you see user groups of the wildlife resource at each other or at, at odds with each other, I should say. Yeah. And so the the outfitters and the do-it-yourselfers, uh, for lack of a better term, our friend Clay Newcomb with Bear Hunting Magazine uses that term a lot uh, to describe bear hunting without a, a, a guide. Yeah. Uh, you know, there should be a common bond between those groups instead of infighting, um, you know, uh, and that's always been a problem, it seems, in the work that I've done over the years with the user groups. Now, in Michigan, when we had that bear issue, Prop D, to stop bear hunting with hounds, uh, we were able to incorporate the entire hunting community of Michigan into the fight. And had we not been able to do that, you know, Michigan has 750,000 deer hunters. Yes. And we may, you know, we we set forth the issue as being an anti-hunting issue, a domino that would fall that would ultimately uh stop hunting of all kinds in Michigan. And 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 that's a story for another day. We're going to have Mike Thorman with the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation on the podcast later on to talk about some of those things. But, you know, that to me, it is a is a sad state of affairs when the user groups can't find common ground and work together. You know, it, it, we can't have everything we want anytime we go into a legislative battle. We're not going to get everything we want, but uh, we can compromise and we can work together. And I would, I'm sure that's your goal. Uh, to to uh, do that, but I a word of caution for me would be, you know, let's don't alienate the 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 guides. Let's try to find a way that we can work with them. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm for right. Sure. Maybe I'm no, wrong. You, you are definitely right, and that's where, uh, and, and to be honest with you, Steve, that's why uh, the Houndsman Association did not go to Helena and testify against uh, this bill. Uh, everybody knew I was against it and knew that we were, as a Houndsman Association, against it. But with the outfitters being for it, um, uh, other organizations speaking for it as, uh, you know, proponents for that, that bill, it would really, it, at the end of the day, it would have alienated the Houndsman Association um, no matter what I did. And we all need to band together um, even though I don't agree with what happened there whatsoever as a Houndsman Association or as a personal person, um, you know, I still need to get along with all of those people. And we all are, I try to tell people we're all out here for a common goal. We all love to be in the woods, whether that's I'm in the woods with my hound dogs or you're in the woods with a client or you're just in the woods enjoying the nature we we all need to get along and we can be such a strong powerful um, force if we can all get along because people are so passionate about hunting and so passionate about hound dogs but you have so many people that just butt heads and they can't they can't find that common ground and one of the things that um, you know i see in situations like this yeah we might have 
eliminated or taken steps to eliminate illegal outfitting in Montana, but the houndsmen in other states, now that we're not allowed to come to Montana to, yeah. to run hounds, you know, why, why should a guy in Indiana care what happens to hound hunting in the state of Montana now? Because it has the appearance that, oh, you want to be an exclusive group and you want to keep me out. Well, good luck to you guys. Yeah. And the, the outfitters don't realize that, um, the anti-hunting crowd isn't going to be satisfied with with just eliminating non-residents. They're going to they're going to see the opportunity. They're going to jump in, and now we've got a fragmented group exactly. in the state that's trying to keep the anti-hunting crowd from taking away your rights. And and that hound pursuit is that's right in the center of the bullseye, and we're seeing that all over the country right now. And uh, in my mind, we just we just help them by uh passing a bill like that in the state so this takes me back to the days when my father was the president of the west virginia bear hunters association and in the years surrounding that period when there was an effort to stop bear hunting with hounds in west virginia it was uh, a, the largest newspaper in the state in charleston west virginia started a save our bears campaign and they were able to pass legislation that would make a non-resident uh, bear hunting license uh, $1,000, which was ridiculous because normally it would have been $150, maybe 200 They sold one license that year. Um, and uh, the bear hunters became very active uh, and uh, worked with uh, – uh, the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources, and and in changing the seasons. So the at issue were the uh, the female bears were being killed before they could have cubs. So they eliminated the early seasons. The bear hunters themselves policed their own act and and didn't uh, take sows with cubs and so forth. And you know now bear hunting has has uh, exploded out east and, and for three years in a row the state of west virginia has had more than three thousand bears killed legally uh, and all but uh the extreme measures that that these states go to like this always come back to to bite them in the butt and uh it appears you know that that's what's going to happen to uh, the sport of, of uh, hound hunting out there as far as, you know, here's the thing that comes to mind to me. Uh, and uh, I know the Michigan bear hunters and the UP bear houndsmen, all, Michigan's a very well organized state when it comes to hunting issues, especially dog hunting issues. When Maine was fighting uh, 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 an issue to stop bear, uh, bear hunting up there, Michigan sent them, I believe, $30,000. I'm not sure. But the point being is these states can work together, and it's unfortunate now for Montana that they may have uh, injured uh, that ability oh, yeah. to we, get that kind of support from other states. 
And we have, uh, you know, I supported, um, I supported the Michigan Bear Hunters when when they were having that fight, and then uh, right. also also su- supported the main main bear hunters. I, I know quite a few guys. I've been out on three moose hunts in the state of Maine. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you hope that you hope that you maybe have a I can't say established a relationship with those those people. Um, at the end of the day, I, I really do think that houndsmen that are out for houndsmen and that that they know, uh, and I hope they know that this this was not driven by houndsmen saying we don't want you in our state. Um, of course, you know. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Exactly. And the people that really know will understand or, or really care will understand is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Ross, I know that um, it's been a great conversation, and I know that you've got some things that you need to do today. So have you got any closing thoughts for our audience or anything you want our listeners to know about uh, what's going on in Montana? Uh, As of right now, I I don't think so. I mean, we're just gearing up for all of our field trials, and uh, I'm trying to get all that taken care of, and uh, I hope to see everybody out there. And yeah, hope everybody has a really good summer, and I, I look forward to hopefully being back on the show and talking with you guys uh, about some more stuff. Ross, oh. one thing I'll interject real quickly, you know, if I were to come out there to a field trial, yes, sir. Uh, uh, would there be some trout fishing, some fly fishing anywhere in the neighborhood? <laughs> Steve, you come out any time. Uh, I used to be a fly fishing guide, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you, you come out any time. I'll make sure we, we I'll make sure that we can go coon hunting and uh, oh, awesome. you know that that's one thing Montana doesn't realize too is that there's no law on hunting coons. So uh, any out of stater can still come here and run coons. Not like yep. we have very Okay, I've got to ask you about your dogs before we close. You say you've had this same line for for 30 years. Describe the hounds that you're hunting. So the hounds that I hunt come from J.D. Downer. He was a competition coon hunter and a big game hunter in Montana. Uh, they are a they're cross between an English and a blue tick dog. Some old um, some old Hammer blood and um, some old Smoky River blood. Um, so I, yeah. uh, uh, I run those dogs. I have, um, I, I did, I did cross to a, uh, he was a grand night champion out of, out of Kansas. I think a really p- pretty blue dog. Um, uh, but I've had three litters, I think three or four litters now of my own at the house, um, sold, sold quite a few puppies and my dogs, um, they're, they're very cold nose dogs. I run a, you know, I also have a mixed breed dog out of a guy up north that I know that he's been hunting hounds a long, lot longer than I have. And he's a, he's a big bear hunter and uh, a big cat hunter. And she, she's a mix between, uh, her dad was a full bred loose Bruce Walker dog. And mm-hmm. uh, and she's uh, half, half blue tick, so. Well, you we're mentioned gonna have to have you have you no, back I'm on fi- the show. I'm fine, Chris. If you guys are fine, yeah, no. so. No, we're gonna have to have you back on the show to uh, 
just talk about the difference in the Western Hound. Uh, you know, com- do a little comparison here and and see how many of those lines cross back and forth. You know, between the the Eastern Hound and the and the Western Hound, because I know that there's a lot of crossover back and forth, even though um, we may not be aware of that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Steve, have- you got any- go ahead, go ahead, Ross. Didn't yeah, mean to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. I have a purebred dog. You know, it's the only dog that I could paper. Uh, is a Walker dog. It's a Marasuck bred dog. Right. Um, and, but. Yeah, I mean, my pack of hound dogs is, that's what they are. They're a pack. I have six right now. Um, I'm the type of guy that I don't, uh, I don't run leashes. So I don't, um, my dogs listen. They can all sit. All my dogs get raised in my house until they're five months old. uh, No matter. And uh, they're, they're my friends first. And you know that's that's just how I how I how I run around. I hunt in too too steep of country to be having a slobbering idiot dog dragging me down the mountain on a leash. So. <laughs> you're singing, great... you're preaching to the choir here, Ross. That's exactly as I've gotten a little longer in the tooth, as they say. I I learned uh, a long time ago, you know, that a dog that handles well. Uh, that that's where the fun begins and uh, uh, there's a nine-month-old walker uh, pup here laying here uh, uh, on the floor <laughs> right now and uh, when he when we go out he, he, he realizes when it's fun time yeah and, exactly. and their transformation uh, is incredible uh, between the two environments but yeah I'm with you there yeah I look forward to more conversations with you Ross and I, hopefully through this podcast we can uh, bring a, an awareness to the Montana houndsmen and their their situation out there and uh, hopefully uh, I can get out there and and uh, you can show me a, a few of those trout streams oh anytime anytime Steve for sure um, we have a we have a really good field trial also in in Helena, May May 24th and 25th. It's Memorial Day weekend, um, so and that's always a, a really good field trial as well. So, yeah, sounds great. Well, Ross, thanks for your time today and uh, talking to us on the Houndsman XP podcast, and we will look forward to talking to you in the future. Sounds great, Chris. Is uh, thank right. you guys so much for having me, and uh, you guys have a good day. Thank you, Ross. Ross.